Welcome to PPLS Perspectives, a podcast bringing students and academics together to explore the research carried out by the University of Edinburgh's School of Philosophy, Psychology and Language Sciences and the impact this work has on society. Hi everyone, welcome to the second episode of PPLS Perspectives podcast from the School of Psychology, Philosophy and Language Sciences at the University of Edinburgh. As a wee recap for you, this is the rebranded podcast from the previous PPLS podcast, which was previously called Forward Thinking and Active Pre-Pandemic. This new but old podcast was started off very successfully with a pilot episode on the philosophy of grief a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, I really recommend checking it out. But if you're new here or just fancy hearing me speak for a wee bit longer, our goal is to provide a short, bite-sized chunks of the work of our faculty members, why it is important and the impact this has on society. My name is Gillian Marchini. I'm a second year PhD linguistics student here at the University of Edinburgh. My PhD research focuses on the documentation of underrepresented varieties of Spanish, particularly those spoken by ethnically marginalised groups. My current project seeks to document the phonetic and phonological features of Afro-Mexican Spanish and analyse how these may diverge from previously held assumptions about Spanish. Today I'm joined by my colleague and friend Christian Ilbury, a lecturer in sociolinguistics at the University of Edinburgh. Christian received his PhD in linguistics at Queen Mary University in 2019 and has held various posts at a number of UK institutions prior to joining the department in 2022. Christian's research is sociolinguistic in nature, examining the ways in which language may vary and change according to various social factors. This has ranged from Christian's work into the influence of digital engagement on language use to the role of gender, age and sexuality on language variation. Critical to today's podcast is Christian's work on accent bias and his passion for addressing and tackling accent elitism. I'll ask Christian to elaborate more on these terms presently. Prior to this, however, I will first provide a wee rundown of how the podcast works. Keeping the structure consistent with our last episode, I will ask Christian a series of five questions with some discussion in between. The first of these is an elevator pitch. So for context, this is a brief overview of your research and arguments that is concise yet detailed enough to pitch to somebody in an amount of time it takes to roughly share an elevator or lift. So approximately two minutes. So Christian, we're here today to talk about your research and work on tackling accent bias. Mm -hmm. So could you give us your elevator pitch on this piece? Yeah, so I think what we're doing here is addressing accent as a form of discrimination, right? So people make judgments about someone's social background they infer social information on the basis of the way that somebody speaks, right? And a lot of the time, is that is to do with accent. And on the whole, these kind of judgments, these kind of inferences are not problematic, but they have the potential to become problematic, such as when you're distinguishing between two possible job candidates. Great, that was lovely and precise. So what inspired you to carry out this research? So I've been doing some research with a large-scale ESRC-funded project called Accent Bias in Britain uh, with Professor Deviani Sharma and Professor Erez Lebon um, at Queen Mary University of London. So I was engaged in that project as a postdoc. And so my research uh, with that project is a continuation of the kind of themes, the kind of approaches that we did on that project. And I think as a sociolinguist, um, uh, we're all very aware that language is something that people make judgments about someone on the basis of. Um, but I think in society as a whole, this recognition is not really there. 
right? People talk about racism, they talk about uh, sexism, they talk about homophobia, but these are often thought of in, you know, overt terms, right? Mm -hmm. What someone actually says. When actually people probably do that kind of stuff, but in a more indirect way, right? Like judging someone on the way that they speak can do that same kind of level of discrimination. Um, so really I've kind of been inspired by a broader social justice movement in sociolinguistics to both, you know, tell people that this exists and also try and understand how it exists in all its forms. How do people make these levels of discrimination? How do people decide between accents that are prestigious and accents that are pleasant and why those associations come to be? Wow, that's really interesting. And it seems to be a very nuanced look at accent bias and accent discrimination. And obviously, we are living in the UK, you're conducting mm. your research within the UK, where class is such a taboo topic. Yeah. And it's a very indirect, you said it's a very indirect discrimination. Yeah. It's, it's not spoken about. So I'm just wondering, what does that mean in terms of the methods? What, what methods yeah. do you employ to look at accent bias? Yeah, so one of the things that the accent bias in Britain project did was basically ask people to evaluate uh, accent labels. So this is just, if you present someone a label like received pronunciation or Birmingham, and you ask them to rank the UK accents in terms of their prestige, what you find is that at the top of the prestige scale is a uh, accent that we associate with the social elite, right? Very few people in the UK speak it. Um, it was often called the Queen's English or the Queen King's English now, uh, but it's received pronunciation. So that often gets rated very highly, whereas ethnic minority accents and accents associated with former industrial towns, which have, you know, working class connotations, are generally rated very low in terms of their prestige. And like I say, on the whole, we all have biases, right? Biases are simplified ways of thinking about the world. And on the whole, these are not problematic. They only have the potential to become problematic when someone overgeneralizes them, when they use them to make judgments about non-linguistic information. So whilst accent might map onto, you know, like uh, somebody's social background, it doesn't map onto things like intelligence, right? Uh, that is a leap much too far in trying to infer social information about someone. So um, we've done this kind of experimental work and in another part of the project, um, we basically looked at how people experience, and this is um, the Sutton Trust report that we published. Uh, we looked at how people experience accent bias at different stages of their life. So uh, just before they're coming into university, when they're at university, and then when they're in the workplace. And what you find is that people at university tend to experience the most accent kind of awareness and the kind of fear that their accent might hold them back in their future. Um, so this is something that I'm interested in, in, in understanding why. So in that study, we found that 56% um, of students from the north of England have had their accent actually mocked in a social setting. And because of this, this might lead to anxieties about, you know, your accent as telling someone something that uh, uh, about you yourself or about something that's completely unrelated. 
And do you have any inclination as to why it's happening at university? Obviously, we are at a university podcast yeah. right now, so I'm sure our mm-hmm. listeners would be interested to know. Okay, why is it? Why do you think this environment? Yeah. So I mean, if you think about a university, like previously when you're at school, you go to a school in your area, probably. Uh, where very many people come from the same area, potentially the same background as you. Like the secondary school I went to, the individuals, my fellow students, my friends, were very similar to me, right? And then you are brought to a university, many people travel, you know, quite far to get there, right? And then you get people from all different backgrounds and you suddenly realise, oh, I'm actually quite different, right? Like, yeah. I speak differently to this person or, like, they say butter and I say butter. And, you know, as linguists, we know that there's nothing inherently wrong or correct about one way of pronouncing that word or any word or any way, like, any way of using language. It's just language. But I think students then start to recognise that, people do hold these perceptions right and they meet people from different backgrounds different ways of thinking and so I think in that kind of microcosm of society accent anxiety is increased it's also a time where you know you're thinking about your future you're thinking about transitioning into uh, a profession into a job where potentially you've been told that there's a certain way of speaking or an expect, expected way of speaking for that profession. Yeah, absolutely. That that seems to make sense. It seems to track with societal expectations, when, especially when you reach that age of 18. Yeah. At that age, you're going to... Suddenly, there's much more pressure on you to yep. conform to a certain exactly adult that. way of existing. So mm-hmm. that makes sense. And we've already touched upon this, but obviously it is quite a taboo subject still, mm. um, accent bias. Um, and I was just wondering, could you speak on why you think that is? Yeah, so we as linguists always say, and you'll be familiar with this, you know, old rolled out um, uh, phrase, that accent bias or accent linguistic discrimination is the last remaining, and in scare quotes, you know, acceptable form of discrimination. Because people, are, in my experience, just do not think of this as discrimination. And like I say, uh, very few people in a job interview, uh, in a hiring panel, will say things like, you know, I couldn't understand them because of their accent. They wouldn't say it, you know, explicitly, but they might use, you know, ways of suggesting that that's what they're talking about, right? Like they're not an effective communicator or, you know, like they haven't got the the kind of um, polish that we're looking for. Often that is used as a kind of euphemism for something else that's going on, right? So in my experience, I don't think people are really aware that this discrimination happens and that accent bias is a thing. I think, especially in the UK, it's always packaged up in, like, banter, right? Like, people think mocking someone for their accent is actually me being pally-pally, right? Like, down the pub with my mates, right? I can take the mick out the guy who's a Geordie, right? That is, in my experience, what I think most people think of when it comes to dynamics of accent bias um and i also think you know sociolinguistics we're kind of a niche subject uh i don't think we've always done the best uh job at communicating (laughs) this problem but i think people are starting to think about it now you know there has been this drive for social justice more generally in society and i think people are thinking about language as one of those dimensions at which people are 
discriminated against. Absolutely. I think there it's definitely entering the public consciousness mm. a lot more than it had. For example, when I went to university with yeah. a weird Northern Irish accent, there was absolutely, it was just constant mocking. So yeah. that really does seem to make sense to me. But what, the, obviously, it's a new thing. We're starting mm. to talk about it more. What are the challenges of conducting this kind of research? Yeah, so that's a great, a great question. And I think one of them is <laughs> what I've just described is a lack of awareness of mm. what we're actually talking about. So, um, and you'll know as well, like as, as social linguists, when we argue that there is nothing inherently wrong about one language variety or one way of speaking than another, you often get people conflating this with the idea that we're, you know, telling people they can write how they want, right? What we're talking about is speech, right? And we're talking about someone's accent. And there are, you know, two different dimensions here. And we're not kind of saying, you know, everyone can use uh, just however they want to speak. We know that there are rules, there are systems in place in language which influence and constrain how somebody speaks. So it isn't just like throw the rule book out and let people, you know, use these random varieties of English or any language. It's, it's systematic, it's structured, so we should respect the linguistic diversity. But it's an uphill battle, right? Because like, okay, so on the one hand, people don't understand what really what we're talking about. And also, I think, you know, as you said earlier, we're, we're a nation where social class is so ingrained into the fabric of everything we do, everything we say, it's, you know, it's, it's class oriented. And I think we've got better at talking about it. But it is still for very many people a taboo subject to raise the issue that, you know, working class students might experience pressure from their privately educated peers to speak in a certain way or to act in a certain way. I think that's still, you know, something that it's a conversation that some people feel very uneasy about. And so I, I hope, like, as part of the broader ju social justice movement that people now have the words, the language to be able to talk about this. And I think, you know, it works both ways. We have a job as social linguists to communicate this stuff. And also, I think we need, uh, you know, society in, you know, as kind of an idealist view to, to, to kind of engage with this as a possible um, transformation or a movement. Yeah. And if there are budding linguists listening yeah. and they are saying, look, this is something I'm really <laughs> passionate about. I want to I want to get into this. What? advice would you give them yeah for those looking because obviously there are challenges with this kind of research so what, what would your advice be yeah so i feel like every time we talk about accent bias and linguistic discrimination it can kind of feel a bit demotivating because you're like here is a problem and the question is well what do we do about it mm -hmm. and in accent bias britain the conclusion was uh, one of the most effective interventions is simply to tell people that this is a problem right it 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 works when people uh, uh, become aware of linguistic discrimination and accent bias. So I'd say to like, you know, budding linguists, people who are interested in this, talk to people, right? And, and tell them that this is an issue, right? So if you hear someone mocking someone's accent, call them out for it, right? And say, you know, you don't think that's a particularly great thing to do, <laughs> right? Um, because it does map onto ethnicity, it maps onto sexuality, it maps onto all of these dimensions that we have become, you know, very aware of. Um, so I think try not to 
become despondent, um, but rather if we all make these kind of tiny little changes in our everyday practice, I think we can all contribute in some way to deconstructing the assumptions that are underlying linguistic discrimination or accent bias. Absolutely. Little actions. Yeah. Awareness. Yeah. Awareness that this is a problem because it is something that is very much under the radar, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so speaking upon that, there are obviously there's stuff that you are doing with the with the accent bias um, project but where is the impact of this where can you see this work going yeah so um already this year uh, our research uh, informed a large um policy document or it's yeah research document by the Sutton Trust so the Sutton Trust are highly influential social mobility charity uh, whose research goes into informing governmental level policy and so our research got taken up by the Sutton Trust the report had a huge press release it was covered by Sky News by BBC by The Guardian and so from that we had a huge amount of conversations right um media appearances where people you know were asking about us asking about what this is right so I think that's where the impact comes from is raising awareness of this being an issue and like I said earlier one of the one of the hopes is you raise awareness of an issue people become more aware of it right and they start to address it in their own practice um so you know potentially this has social mobility benefits in terms of you know accent could be one of the dimensions that someone is discriminated on the basis of and if we address the underlying biases we underdress uh, sorry, we address the um, underlying assumptions about that individual, then we can stop accent becoming a, a barrier to social mobility. And so, um, you know, some of the tools, some of the resources that we developed as part of the Accent Bias Britain project have gone into this, right? We've developed recruitment tools, um, staff training, student training to ha- help raise basically the profile of accent bias and linguistic discrimination. Great, and just I I am aware that a couple of weeks ago, last week, um, you held an event. Yeah. So could you perhaps talk about what that event was and what that what benefit that had for the University of Edinburgh specifically? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, in the first year that I taught a course called Social Linguistics, I had a student in that class. Uh, Andrew Wilson, who runs a society called the 93% Club. They represent state-educated students at the University of Edinburgh. And I had another student, uh, Claire Ellison, from Tackling Elitism. And we both kind of, you know, came up with the idea that from the week on language and social justice, we should develop a an event that addressed accent bias at the University of Edinburgh, right? So have an open discussion about student experiences here at the university. And so um, then from that uh, kind of, you know, planning, I then worked with the two current presidents, uh, Grace and Holly, to develop this evening, um, actually last week, um, looking specifically at accent bias. So we had, we heard from two external speakers, uh, Professor Julia Snell and Ian Cushion, who both work on language and social justice issues. And then we had a panel in which we invited students from the university to talk about their own experiences here and how they think we as a university should be addressing 
language and social justice issues or accent bias and linguistic discrimination. And so really this is hoped to be the beginning of a more general uh, work uh, kind of project with these two student societies where we're addressing this issue at the university. So we, it's an issue in all parts of life, obviously. But what we can actually do is turn the focus on ourselves, like, and how how can we support students from working class backgrounds who have non-standard or non-standardised accents, and how can we better integrate their voices in the classroom? So uh, from that, I'll be developing some staff training materials. We mm-hmm. hope that this will be the first of many events. So, yeah, stay tuned. Yeah, listeners, stay tuned. This is going to be good stuff. Um, so just sort of last question. Mm-hmm. So you've already mentioned you're developing these staff training, but are there any more next steps you think that we can take within the University of Edinburgh mm-hmm. or perhaps at a more general level to help tackle accent bias? Yeah, so I think the main thing that that we really need is diversification, right? We, in all walks of life, if you hear someone who sounds like you in a position that you never imagined yourself in because, you know, that's not what your family did or that's what you were told you would never be able to do by some teacher or someone at some point. Um, If you hear someone that sounds like you, speaks like you, that is so transformational. And I think that's what we can do is try and fight for uh, representation. So representation, linguistic diversity, representation in diversity in all its forms and my hope is through that we hear more diverse voices right and the idea that there is one way of speaking or one correct accent becomes it starts to fall apart right because if you have people in power you know powerful positions who sound like you or sound you know like um, how you think people from your home sound then that is incredibly you know empowering So I think that's one of my hopes. I think on a more general level, it is simply just telling people that this is, you know, an issue and like we're almost at Christmas, right? And these (laughs) kind of conversations come up, right? (laughs) Around, yeah, family dinner or like, (laughs) you know, like down the pub, you know, after on a Friday afternoon, I'm sure people make comments that are shrouded in, in kind of linguistic bias or accent bias or whatever. And when you hear them, you should you know, try try and feel empowered to tackle them. Great. Okay, then. So before we go, where can somebody find out more about your work? Yeah, so I would suggest um, either looking at the Accent Bias in Britain website, which we can link, or um, having a look at the Sutton Trust um, report that we wrote this year. And uh, all of that work that I've spoken about just now is uh, in that report. Great. That's fabulous. I'm sure people will be checking that out. Cool. So I think that's where we're going to wrap up now. Um, so thank you very much for listening, everybody. Um, this has been a PPLS Perspectives podcast with Christian Ilbury, interviewed by Jilly Marchini. Um, we hope you've learned stuff and be sure to check out our other episodes. <laughs>